This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Welcome in to Take Command. Craig Hoffman with you. Logan Paulson be here in just a few minutes. But joining me off the top of the podcast today is Michael Phillips from the Richmond Times-Dispatch. Michael and I are going to talk a little bit about the upcoming hearing tomorrow as we record this on Monday afternoon for Dan Snyder, except for not for Dan Snyder because he's not going to be there. We'll talk about the implications of that, what we expect to hear from Roger Goodell. And then Logan and I are going to go deep uh, because Logan went deep on Terry McLaurin. Michael, I know you're sad to be missing that part of the conversation, but Logan went and watched all the top receivers in the division. And then we're going to have a discussion on where Terry ranks amongst those receivers in the division and what that means for his contract negotiations. So riveting stuff to come later in the take. As long as it ends with him getting signed, I'm good with it. You know, as long as that's the outcome in the end. That's where I am now. We haven't, this isn't one of those podcasts where he and I have already had that conversation and I have some new data that changed my, I am with you. I'm like, I don't know. I've watched Terry McLaren. I don't think I need a bunch of tape to tell me he's a really good football player and that they need to sign him. But we'll see um, because, you know, contract values are weird and, you know, where he is in the division is somewhat relevant. So we'll see what Logan has to say and we'll parse that out later in the show. But we found out this morning Daniel Snyder is not going to rearrange his uh, business uh, commitment to be able to testify virtually. And his lawyer, actually, the, the letter from his lawyer was interesting. On a big picture perspective, Michael, here's where I sit. And I'm curious your reaction to this. We have politicians that are doing politician things. And I'm someone who actually is, I think some people obviously know this from following on Twitter, like I care a lot about politics. I think they're really important. I think government has the the ability to do a lot of good. Um, So I am not someone who is immediately dismissive of politicians doing things as political theater. But I think we are at a point with this committee that it feels like politicians might be doing some very, very legitimate or very illegitimate political theater, depending on how you want to look at it. It is theatrical. And you have lawyers very much lawyering on Snyder's side of it, which is two ver- two sides that are very untrustworthy, traditionally speaking. So trying to make sense of whether it is legitimate that he's he's making a reasonable request that he is out of the country. And eat, look, even if his business thing is a film festival that feels very flippant, it's still a potentially legitimate business thing. And it has been scheduled for a long time. And this committee seems inflexible. Or are they calling his BS? I don't know what to make of this. What do you make of the back and forth of that ultimately is going to result in Daniel Snyder not testifying on Tuesday? Yeah, if I had some advice for the House Oversight Committee, it'd be to, to tamp down the politics a bit because there's, you know, there's a lot of there there. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think we all understand that. And I, I think, you know, you even look back to the original uh, Wilkinson report summary which the NFL sent out in, in their, by means of telling us there wouldn't be a full Wilkinson report. There's a lot there, and there's a lot 
worth digging into, and there's a lot that I don't think is a waste of people's time to dig into, but certainly when you play these back-and-forth games of statements and letters and, and charades here, I, I don't know that it helps anybody feel any better about the process and that this is, you know, a, you know an, an inscrutable process or, you know, a, a above reproach or whatever it is. It, it certainly feels like two sides playing politics, and then that, that opens the door for the side that, you know, is accused of very serious sexual harassment to say, ah, he was to say what's what, it's all just people playing politics here. And so that, I think that is a disservice to the whole thing when they go down that road. But I, I think that if you're talking about an NFL football team, that's it's a public trust, basically. I mean, there's 32 of them in the country. They are the premier sporting franchises in the country and certainly global brands. Uh, I don't think it's inappropriate to say, hey, a major thing happened at one of those teams. There was what at least appears to be an attempt to, to sweep it under the rug with this with this oral report that Beth Wilkinson gave. I think it's perfectly fine for the United States government to say, why don't we double-click on that? Why don't we look into that for a bit? I, I think that when they bog themselves down in all these statements and sniping and, and back and forth, I think that lessens the credibility of the process, and I think that's unfortunate as we go into Wednesday. Right. It, to me, if you're going to call him on his bluff, assuming that it is a bluff, then call him on it. Don't don't name call. Don't, oh, yeah. if you were really taking, be like, okay, you want another date? Fine. We'll see you next Tuesday. Like, show up. Like, if, if you are serious about it, because I do think the points that Snyder's lawyer, and look, they ain't going to find a lot of defenses for Daniel Snyder for anything, anywhere. But the points raised by his lawyer in this letter are legitimate. If Snyder wants counsel, which is a legal right that is very important and very valid to be with him during, and I guess I should recap a little bit as the host of the show, basically what Dan Snyder's lawyers uh, said in their letter saying that he is not going to testify is they've had a longstanding commitment. He is unavailable. The virtual side of it is not an option because he, Snyder, cannot have his lawyer with him, which is something he wants and is very much his legal right. And so to not be able to sit next to your lawyer, and by the way, the lawyer said, even if they were in in person and Snyder was not over in France, that is a conflict on schedule for the lawyer on that particular day. So if you want to actually work together to find a time, we are open to that, but it is unfeasible on this given time for those reasons. And I think those are legitimate and so if I'm the committee, I'm going, all right, well, fine, let's let's work out a date. And that's obviously not what they've done. And now you have what feels very much like a dog and pony show when all along you have real people here at the center of the investigation that got hurt, not to mention actual workplace regulations that, you know, Representative Maloney, the chairwoman of the committee, put forth some legislation last week and, and drafted it and said like, Hey, this is, this is what we think should happen moving forward. And it, it seems like some of those very legitimate things that are supposed to come out, the accountability, the, the protections moving forward are now being undermined by a dog and pony show. Is it, there's a lot of dog and pony show here. And yeah, I, you know, it, it, it seems like they're working under the assumption he doesn't want to cooperate, but I I'd rather see a tangible proof that he's not cooperating than operating under that kind of assumption of like, well, we gave you a date, like clearly you don't want to do it. Like I'd, I'd join you in that. Like here are seven dates. And if you duck seven dates, then, then we know it's on your end at that point. Right. Exactly. Like don't assume, find out. 
Yeah. You know, That's we, the journalists in us, Michael. We don't want to journalism. assume. We want to find out. Your mom says she loves you. Get two sources. That's, <laughs> that's correct. That's a great, great journalism school line. I'm, uh, I'm glad they taught that at KU as well as Syracuse. <laughs> well, all the finest schools uh, using that material. It's it, it, so you know. In I think Roger showing up, you know, complicates things somewhat for Dan. I, I think if Roger were also not there, this is a pretty easy win for Dan. Hey, look, this whole thing's a sham or whatever. But but Roger's going to be there, and he, you know, he has thrown Dan lightly under the bus a couple times this offseason already with, oh, you know, we'd love to release those documents, but the commanders won't let us. Um, if he, you know, if he goes hard with that, it's potentially a negative outcome coming out of this for Dan Snyder. So he's, he's got to be a little bit wary of that for sure. Definitely. So that leads us to that. Like, that's what's not happening. Now what's to happen? What does Goodell showing up and testifying mean for the Washington commanders and all of the, the parties involved in this investigation? What do you expect to hear from him? Well, very little because he's very good at this. Um, you know, keep in mind, I mean, this, this is a guy who's a pro. He has stepped up and, and testified and given press conferences about, uh, you know, far, far worse, uh, you know, more prominent thing. You the Ray Rice elevator video. Um, you know, certainly he's dealt with this. Uh, you know, this probably raises to as high of a level as, as the, these other things, but he's got experience with this. Uh, he has a, a legal and political background. You know, he's he's in his home court here. Uh, I know that the committee's inviting him in, but but he's in his home court in a way that Dan Snyder is not in, in terms of giving these answers and being ready. What I'm looking for is, is he going to full-on stand up for Dan, or is he going to leave, leave some distance between the two men? You know, I, I don't think... I don't think there's going to be a full-on, like, oh, I mean, that's Dan's problem. You'd have to bring Dan in here to ask about that. Like, I, we told him not to do that. Um, but, you know, there, there are ways where he could hey, he can put a little distance. But, hey, you know, at the NFL, we take these things seriously. You know, he, he's I'm not his boss, so I can't make him take this seriously. But I'd love to know what he's doing to take this more seriously. Um, you know, and, and certainly everything we're talking about here happened pre-Jason Wright era. So I, I would imagine we will hear a lot about how transformed the franchise is. And you should believe that. You should buy into that because almost every person who was here during that era is gone now and has been replaced by somebody new. But it's a very fair question for the committee to ask if it was so important to fire everybody in the building or you know let everybody in the building move on, why does that not hold true for the owner? Why is the owner also not held to that standard? Right. I do think that there's going to be a lot of Goodell taking ownership of this, saying like, you know, we wish we would have done better. You know, we now are doing X, Y, Z, but like we weren't involved. We did not know this was going on. Perhaps we should have. And we have now created anonymous reporting. Like we've done the work now. Like people can complain to us. But, you know, at the time that wasn't our responsibility. It's the responsibility of the clubs. And, you know, Dan's not here. And so I, I guess that leaves me like one more big question moving forward. And obviously on many radio shows that I will be doing this week and, uh, you know, you will be writing about this and, and on the podcast on Thursday, we'll be talking about what actually comes out of this. But the one thing that, that kind of is floating in the back of my mind is like, what's the most dangerous outcome for the commanders 
moving forward, right? We we kind of know, and I I say that not to like be a doomsday worst scenario, worst case scenario person, but we know what the quote unquote best case scenario is for the commanders in that this goes away, um, like through their PR lens. I'm not saying that's sure. actually a good outcome. Like some level of justice would be a good outcome, um, but <laughs> justice, who wants that? Um, but from a PR standpoint, for them, it goes away. Uh, they're like just bluntly, the Republicans win the midterms. This committee disbands uh, this investigation. And the commanders move on and, and pretend like this never happened and, and you have a bunch of people screaming into the void. But there is another version of this where potentially this hearing plays a role, um, but also obviously the discovery in the John Gruden case. Like what what is the worst case scenario playing moving forward for the commanders where this doesn't go away and what role does this hearing potentially play in that? To me, worst case scenario is anything that creates a financial burden between Dan and the other owners. And look, I'm, I'm cynical, so I'll just say it. I don't think the other owners are going to remove him for any number of sexual harassment allegations. I just don't think they're going to do it. But I think they wouldn't hesitate to get rid of him in a minute if they thought he was taking money out of their pockets. And so I, that's why I thought the biggest allegation by far was was the Jason Friedman allegation of the the juice, you know, where they're they're moving money out of the revenue sharing pot. I, that's the stuff that lands. There, if this somehow goes poorly enough that Congress passes legislation banning tax dollars from being used on new stadiums, that's the ultimate worst mm. case scenario. Because then you've all these owners come out with their hands out every thirty years, and if Dan somehow is the reason that they can't do that anymore, that's a 100% worst case for Dan. They get rid of him in a heartbeat at that point. So I, I think the worst case scenarios for Dan are far more on the financial side of the house than the legal moral side of the house. Follow the money. That they also teach you in journalism school. They do. Or at least they should. I watched uh, a movie about that once. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mike Tirico told me that once. He's like, if you want to know what's happening, follow the money. I was like, thanks, Mike. <laughs> honorary professor at the Newhouse School, Mike Tirico. Uh, Michael, this was great. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. We will have you back to do fun football things eventually, but I appreciate your uh, bona fides in the reporting chops uh, that you brought to today's podcast. I'll look forward to it. We've all learned something today. I learned how uh, cons is pronounced. Uh, it's not cans. Uh, so I think we're all going to take a lot of knowledge forward out of this. We. Oui. <laughs> Au revoir. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Continuing on Take Command, Logan now with us and well, with me, Michael's. Michael's gone. Yes. I, traded, right. I traded a Logan for a Michael. And <laughs> here you are. Uh, you, sir, have been busy watching tape of Terry McLaurin as well as the other wide receivers in the NFC East, top wide receivers, yeah. Devontae Smith, CeeDee Lamb, Terry, 
Anybody else that you, you threw in there? Um, yeah, Devontae Smith, A.J. Brown. Um, oh, right, A.J. Brown. Now, I now watched, a little, watched a little Kenny Galladay. That's an interesting one. We'll talk about that as we get into it for sure. Okay, so what we want to do is we want to just kind of rank the receivers in the division and see where Terry falls. Because if Terry's asking for top flight money, it mm-hmm. would make sense that that should come as a top flight receiver. So where does he rank? Not just within the league next to a guy like AJ Brown, who just got a $25 million per year contract, but with some of these other receivers in the division as well. Do you want to start with Terry? Or is there someone that you think is like a good tone setter to talk about as a comparison point? Uh, yeah, I think that's, um, yeah, let's start with Terry. So basically the thing, when you start watching Terry, the thing that stands out to you is that he catches the ball probably the best of the group, right? And like, so you're watching kind of um, what they call it, like um, like highlight plays essentially. But essentially it amounts to every target and every impactful block as ranked by PFF. So you start going through them and you're like, man, Terry just does not drop the football. And I think any fan who's been around the team for a long time would agree with that, right? He is just a phys- he's physical at the catch point. He does a really nice job with regards to, you know, kind of putting his body in the right spot. He tracks the ball well in the air, all those things that you love. And then you get about 40, 45 plays into it thinking, wow, you know, Terry might actually be the best receiver in the division. And then I think you start seeing kind of teams start figuring out because that kind of is like the three, four, five game mark of the season is that 40 play mark and teams start game planning and treating you a little differently and they start defensively scheming you up at a higher level. And so what happens is you see Terry, I think, to my eye anyway, start struggling with press coverage a little bit he starts struggling with the physicality of guys being up against him and creating elite separation so to speak so it's not that he doesn't create separation it's just like when guys get up and challenge him he doesn't have the route running nuance you know in the short area I think in the long area like the deep stems things like that he's very crafty very um kind of Jahan-esque in that way you know but Jahan has this kind of short area ability that Terry seems to be lacking. Terry's kind of a long strider, and I think those things make it challenging for him to create separation in the short area and then in the short area at the top of a route like a comeback or a dig if he can't run into the cut. So you've got a guy who can create space, understands angles and stems and things like that when he can get out, but a lot of routes in modern NFL offenses, those short burst slants, the, the quick in cuts, things like that, especially at the actual break point, not as smooth in and out not as much of a separator as maybe some other guys that you watch, but has the hand strength that if the ball is somewhere close can, can make up for some of that lack of separation. That a good summary. I think that's an excellent summary. And I think the other thing that stands out about him that was cool is like, he's physical, man. He's physical. He's competitive. He's a Logan Paulson football player. Like I really enjoy watching. We need a stamp. Like, like they used to have the all Madden stamp. Like we need a, we need a Logan Paulson stamp. Yeah, I really like what he brings from like a like he's tough, he's courageous, he blocks like and he's he's competitive, you know, but I think like like you said like modern NFL like there's there's like the receivers are so nuanced now. They're good in the long stem game, they're good in the short area and they're good at the catch point, right? So I think with with that I think that the big limitation comes short area press coverage, press man which is a little bit confusing because he's so physical but again he just lacks that quickness because he's kind of a longer strider to kind of make up for some of that separation uh, that you see so I think that's why I would have him a little bit lower than the other I have two guys I would rank ahead of him so we'll get to those guys in a second but just kind of talking more generally one one of the things I I find fascinating about Terry is you talk about the hands and he doesn't drop anything but it never looks smooth and at this point at this point we're three years in you know going on year four like 
I, I don't have questions about Terry McLaurin's hands. It was just kind of always a funny thing watching back when I was covering the team up close and, and watching on TV these last couple of years. Um, is like it never is a smooth, he clean catch. The football, yeah. mm-hmm. But he always catches it and he continues to run and like still makes big plays. And so it doesn't wind up being a problem. But I test it can really throw you for a loop. The other thing, too, is just as a point of comparison, and obviously you just said there's two other guys in the division that we'll talk about, but I think of like Cooper Cup or Hunter mm-hmm. Renfro, some of these guys that are getting 100 insane number yeah. of catches a year. Hundred, I don't know what a cup wind up with, like 130 this year, something yeah, gross. Um, you know, Renfro's over 100. And some of these routes they run that aren't even anything that was ever drawn up on paper, they just find a way to manipulate defenses in, in short area and create a ton of separation quickly. And I think that that is somewhere where you definitely can think of plays with Terry where even on simpler stuff, the quick slants and things like that, there is a contest on the catch and that sometimes results in not a drop, but in, in an incompletion um, because there isn't that space for him to really make that catch. And, and so as we get to the two guys that you're going to rank ahead of him, do you want to go to, to number two first and then we'll save number one for last? And my guess is it's CeeDee Lamb and Devontae, Devontae Smith. So uh, who's, or AJ, who's AJ where? Brown. AJ or Brown. AJ Brown. Really yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, so, okay so, which of those three Devontae, guys is below Terry? Let's talk about Devontae Smith. And I would put, so Devontae Smith is obviously a rookie, right? And I think mm-hmm. he excels in the, in the short area, in the long stem game. He has excellent change of direction, kind of the anti-Terry, you know, in the sense that he's very, very polished. He's very, very nuanced. I'm really glad you brought up the Hunter Renfro and Cooper Cup thing, because one of the things about those routes is that those routes are drawn on paper. They look like, you know, that famous return route. It's a fake slant and then come back. Terry runs it like it's drawn on paper. The really good ones, the really excellent receivers are the ones that have the artistry to say, oh, I'm going to sell this a little bit flatter. I'm going to burst this way. I might keep my shoulders square a little bit longer, turn this way and pivot out, give them a false accelerator. You know what I mean? They, they, have the, they have this bag of tricks that they apply to these routes. And Terry had a pretty productive year last year. If, there's a, if he's starting for the Tennessee Titans, because that's where A.J. Brown was playing last year, if he's starting for the Dallas Cowboys, his production is way, way higher. And the reason I say that is because not only did are you limited somewhat by Taylor Heineke's arm strength, but you're also limited by Taylor Heineke's lack of anticipation. Like There are mm-hmm. times where he's running open on a corner, which fits Terry's skill set, as we just described long stem, understanding angles, all those kind of things, and he's wide open, and you can feel him coming open very early in the down. Excuse me, but the ball's late. You know, the ball's late, so he's got to make this crazy contorted catch to get the ball, and he's getting tackled right away. When, if the ball's on time, he's running for an extra 20 yards, and that's not an exaggeration. That happens all the time on his film. So I, get, right. I, need, to, I, need, to, I need to draw attention to that because, like, that is a thing, 100%. Yeah, one quick add-on to that, too. It also limits the imagination and the capability, the play calling, right? So it's yeah. not just the plays that get left on the field inherently by Heineke not being able to get the... I mean, the ball Terry got hurt on last year is yeah. a ball that should have been a touchdown easy, and instead it's way underthrown, and Terry's production gets limited because he misses games with a concussion because he gets absolutely rocked. That yeah. also means that there's plays that Scott Turner might call this year with Carson Wentz with a much bigger arm that don't even get called in the first place last year. So there, there's even more than what is apparent on tape. And again, that's a fantastic point because even in OTAs, you see a different offense. Like one of the reasons Jahan's been so productive in OTAs is because Carson's throwing with great anticipation. His arm strength is outstanding. Like 
the the throws that were questionably open last year are definitively open this year just by having a different guy at the position. And that's not, I don't want to sound like I'm crushing Heineke here, but that is the difference between a guy who's played a lot of football, maybe not super high-level football the last couple of years in Carson Wentz, but is definitively an NFL starter and a guy who's definitively a backup. So right. that's that's a good point of comparison. So back so that to, brings yeah. us to Smith. Yeah, so Smith, I think, again, like, he is also kind of in the same boat, limited by uh, Jalen Hurts. He does excellent short. His his route running nuance is very, very high level. You see why he was drafted so high last year. I think where he falls short is he drops the football a little bit more than you like. And, and again, some of that's rookie nerve. Some of that's Jalen Hurts throwing a crazy football. And at when it's time to get physical, he doesn't have the body weight to compete for the football in the air. So it's not that he's not a physical guy. It's not that he's not tough because he blocks. He's competitive. He'll go over the middle. All those things you want to see. But it's like there's been, there was a couple routes where he's running a fade. And he releases excellent short area quickness. The DB matches his hip and just slowly widens him to the sideline. And it's two yards of width that were added. But he's basically standing on the sideline. And so the quarterback's got to make a perfect throw. He can't get the ball there. You're really demanding a lot from the quarterback at that point. And so even from guys like Terry, you know, who are very, very physical, like we mentioned that as one of his strengths, they can keep the space, right? They can fight with the DB. They can make that contested catch when they have to. And Smith, is that's where he falls down a little bit. Now, he might come out this year like most rookies do and play much better in year two, and I think that's a totally reasonable, viable thing. But that's the thing, in my opinion, that's going to keep him from being a dyed-in-the-wool number one receiver. And I think it benefits him. I think you're going to see a much better Smith this year because of A.J. Brown. He is kind of that that other type of, he's the X receiver in this case, right? A guy that you feel good about winning versus press, about winning versus uh, off coverage, about keeping that space, yards after catch, all of those things. So I think, I think you'll see a more productive guy because he's going to be in a more natural role for him. So that brings us to Brown, um, yeah. who I think is perhaps the most interesting comparison to Terry because they are yeah. very similar. Brown is bigger, but yep. Terry is like a big, thick body type, right? Physical, yeah. but they're also both really, really fast. They are yep. the same age. Um, yep. Obviously, Brown was a higher pick, but they are the same age. Uh, and so what what do you see from Brown a, in terms of some of the stuff that Terry does well and maybe some things that he can do that Terry can't if those things exist? So I think there's just a little bit more of like the big dog to Brown. And what I mean by that is he's not the most new. Like I think Terry's stem game is probably superior. Like how he sets up a corner, how he sets up a big out. He can, Terry's very good just, at that. Just to be clear real quick in case anyone's like, they keep talking about stems. What the hell is a stem? A route oh, stem right. is, is um, I think people probably can figure it out with context. But just to make sure, it's the part of the route that happens before the cut. Yeah. So if you're, if you're, running an in cut and it's five yards and then in on like an l shape it's that first five yards of running straight ahead and depending on how you angle that how you attack a corner's leverage you know you're attacking you know am i trying to get on the inside hip am i trying to get on the outside hip in order to turn them like you can set up your cut and try to manipulate the corner on that stem and it's a really really essential part of route running both in little nuanced things of change direction but also to try to make them look the same uh, depending on the route to set up a double move all that kind of stuff right yeah absolutely and that, that's a great description and and i think it shows up more for terry in the long stuff so you, you get the example you gave was a five yard route i think it shows up more for him in like the 12 15 20 yard range like where you can really manipulate a defense with those long strides and that long speed um i think aj brown is is just more of he's more he's more physically imposing he's six foot he's 225 just a bigger man and he plays with that kind of edge to his game 
Um, I don't think, like, again, he's not the most polished route runner you've ever seen. Like, a lot of his stuff is getting open on, like, drift or strike. And you're familiar with that from when Kyle was here, right? It's just like a play-action pass. You send the fullback to the linebacker, and then the receiver just kind of fills the void left by the linebacker right behind. There's a lot of space in that second level of the defense because of the play-action and because they have Derrick Henry, and he can just run for days, right? And he's big. He gets kind of a like freight train kind of mentality, and he's physical after the catch, right, which is what you want. I think he drops more balls than I would like. You know what I mean? And it's a little like, what's going on with that? You know? So, again, when you move him from a guy in Tannehill who's pretty accurate to Jalen Hurts, like, is there going to be a drop-off? Like, will Terry play? I think there might – That's this is a perfect example of, like, how quarterback play and scheme could easily switch two and, uh, two and three. And even, honestly, one to three, like, could switch two, depending on how Dak Prescott plays. So, I think seeing that is – is really interesting and like keeping an eye on that moving forward for the fan base is also interesting but yeah he's just bigger he can win in different ways the press stuff doesn't seem to bother him the same way and I think part of it is his size a but I think he's a little bit more twitched up in the short area like Terry is long speed faster for sure like if Terry's got space I want him with the ball in his hands but AJ Brown like in that short area like that basketball crossover he's got a little more of that to his game and he's more violent in that short area so it helps him win on slants fades, hitches, things like that, where that bigger body physicality. And again, like it's the fact that he can win against off coverage and against man that kind of bumps him above Terry, in my opinion. Which leaves us with one more guy, C.D. Lamb. Uh, Obviously, his world is going to be a lot different this year. And I remember talking Mm -hmm. about this with you during the fall. I think Amari Cooper was so underrated and so Mm -hmm. underappreciated in Dallas. And I think that when you watch them and how the offense operated with Cooper in there along with Lamb along with Gallup yeah. that looked very different than when Amari Cooper was out they hit a, a rut in the middle of the season and it was when Amari Cooper was hurt um, but they obviously think CeeDee Lamb is the better player and are investing in him in the long term or plan to uh, mm-hmm. when, when they need to give him a contract extension which should be after this year if I'm remembering correctly um, based off you know similar timeline that Terry and, and Brown are on because um, he's, he's a little bit younger so what did you see when you watched CeeDee Lamb? How does it compare to McLaren? And how much of that has to do with Dak Prescott being probably the best quarterback in the division, at least last year? Yeah, I think that's a really that's, – that's the million-dollar question is how much of this is Dak dependent. I will say he's got a little bit of um, Devontae Adams to his game. And what mm-hmm. I mean by that is, like, they run a lot of smoke, so like a one-step hitch on the outside. And CeeDee Lamb is – better in space than I would have thought. Like he's able to make that first guy consistently miss. He makes the field feel really big all of a sudden. And he's able to give you a lot of free yards off a little kind of not even screens, just like, you know, uh, you know, the corners playing off side adjust. I'm going to get you the football type stuff. And that is pretty advantageous for an offense. I mean, I think everyone saw what green Bay was able to do with that kind of stuff with Adams and like Alan Lazard, you know what I mean? Like you can get a lot mm-hmm. out of receivers that way. I think the thing that separates him from Brown, in my opinion, is he is pretty physical. Like, not he's not the same physical specimen Brown is, but his route running nuance is elite. You know what I mean? It's it's on that. It's on the way. Uh, you know, I made the Devonte Adams comparison. Like, that's the guy you're keeping an eye on as a comparison. And saying in three years is C.D. Lamb the next Devonte Adams? Now he's not quite. He's not. He's not Devonte Adams now. But I'm saying like that's the trajectory I see for him because of how smart he is with his stems how good he is in the short area how he can kind of change direction at top speed in a a very kind of high level way so 
you know, it's funny when I was watching the tape, I was kind of like, this is why they moved on from Amari Cooper because they think this is the future and there's enough on tape to support that. Right. Again, with him too, like this is kind of, this is going to sound crazy, but again, with him, he has a lot of drops, like a lot of drops that you, he shouldn't have. Like, I mean, obviously I'm not going to knock a guy for tough catches, but you know, like there was a screen against Washington, for example, where there's daylight. He just drops the ball. You know what I mean? And that happens more than you'd like. And again, that's more of a concentration thing. So if I'm, if I'm Dallas, I'm saying, well, we'll get that worked out. We can get that fixed. But those are things that make you think, well, you know, it, that, that's why to me he's not like that top tier wide receiver. That's why he's not the Cooper Cup, Devontae Adams, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, Tyree. That's why he's not, out, he, he's kind of outside looking in on that group. But I think there is the potential that he could be that guy you know, in a year or two, maybe even this year, depending on how Dak does. Yeah, he's, he's freaky talented. And, you know, they drafted him out of Oklahoma. He obviously had a ton of big plays there, um, but also in the punt return game. And Dallas yep. has used him as some of that too. And I, I think that shows up in his game. One of these guys that you're terrified of get, him getting the ball in space. But you need to have, and I think what separates, because like Terry is also, you are terrified of him getting the ball in space. Right. But especially if he were to catch it on a slant and is already moving, because you're not going to catch him. What I think separates a guy like Lamb from these other guys that you're talking about, Smith has some of this, is the shake. It's the ability to be an extension of the running game on a quick yep. smoke and at the very least get four yards, if not get 14, if not get 40, on a quick catch and run because you make one guy miss and you get it blocked up. So I think that versatility, and again, modern NFL offense is the way they work with the side adjustment. If you're going to, especially against Dallas, who you know wants to run it and teams start to load the box, can you start to get some big plays and manufacture them or at least manufacture guarantees that your offense is going to stay on schedule? And Lamb is a guy that is super reliable in that. And I think, you know, on top that, on top of his ability to do the other receiver stuff that we think of more traditionally, is is what puts him on top. And again, like that's a that's that's a good point too, because like, and everyone thinks that this timing element um, of quarterback to receiver only applies for the deep stuff. But Dak and CD have a very good timing, even on the short stuff. Like there was a couple times where Terry's getting a screen, and you know, kind of keep holds the ball for a tick right the ball's got to be out and then he doesn't throw a fastball he throws kind of this floating ball and the way those screens are designed is to get the defensive line to rush and then to hit the ball behind it so timing is really important if you're even half a second late that's going to be a five-yard gain instead of a 30-yard gain and there was a couple times consistently that 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 happened last year and I think if you're the commander staff, you look at those plays and you say, man, there was so much meat on the bone just from a timing standpoint that we're just going to be better by default um, by bringing in a better guy. And so I, after watching Terry, I, I told you I watched all of his significant snaps, like there is a lot of meat on the bone from a production standpoint from him. And I think the other thing about this offense that's great is all of a sudden those, those corners that are pressing him really aggressively because there's so much team speed He's going to get less of that look. You know what I mean? He's going to get more soft zones, and teams aren't going to be able to fixate and press him and disrupt him in uh, in a way that he doesn't excel at, right? And I think, again, so you add the timing, you add the spacing, you add all those things, and all of a sudden Terry looks like a different animal. So this could very easily be drastically different at the end of next year. Right, and that's the thing, too, is I feel like Terry's intelligence is – really high and you see that in the way he plays against zone coverage he is a guy that can sit down get a catch 
you know, get upfield, get a couple extra yards. He doesn't really mess around. You know, a guy like Lamb sometimes, that, that type of player who has that shake can get themselves in trouble because they catch it, they turn around, they see three guys, and they're like, how do I beat all three? Where Terry's right. like, I'm going to go get five extra yards and dive forward, and, and it is. And sometimes that winds up in a big play, but often it just winds up in you running backwards and losing a couple extra yards, which sometimes can be the difference in a drive extending or not. Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. It's not just a podcast. It's the 25th hour of your day, your weekly source for all things commanders, right on time, your time. A list of household chores. Do them without missing a beat and listen while you work. In the car, turn mundane drives into memorable moments. With podcasts, you can maximize productivity and minimize FOMO. We're on demand, so we fit perfectly into your schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Take Command Podcast here from Odyssey Sports. So your rankings as of what you saw last season are Lamb, yeah. Brown, McLaren, Smith. Yep. What does that mean for Terry in the contract negotiations? Because Lamb Lamb on some levels are relevant because he hasn't he's not eligible for a deal. So it's like, ah, well, he's on a rookie deal, put him out. But Brown just got a twenty five million dollar right. a year <clears throat> contract. So if you are the commanders and if you are Terry's agent, how are you making that argument of Terry's relative value and what he should be getting per year? Also acknowledging, by the way, that Brown got his $25 million. I'm going to be Terry's agent for a second. They just gave him $25 million, and he hasn't played a snap for them. This guy is your heart and soul and the leader of your franchise. He should be getting at least that. That's what I would be saying if I was Terry's agent. But when you watch the tape, how are you countering, or do you think that's valid? Yeah, so I think contract negotiation is just making an argument, right? And so when I hear that, oh, I'm the heart and soul, like that is somewhat relevant, but the pathos stuff doesn't really apply in my opinion. Like if I'm his agent, I'm looking at, I'm going to pull clips for him. I'm going to be like, hey, what does this look like with Carson Wentz at quarterback? This looks like elite wide receiver play. You know, like look at how open he is here. Like this one, the ball's got to be out. If the ball's delivered now, this is a 50-yard touchdown. And we, we instead you get a guy who's fighting, who's competing, who's, getting after he blocks for you he plays hurt that's the other thing about aj brown like his his impactful plays are significantly less than the other guys not significantly but less than the other guys because he hasn't been on the field that much right so terry's been available he's his production has been good for the last three years his production could have been better last year if the quarterback situations worked out and you know like it's like that you know, if this, then that, that doesn't always work in contract negotiations, but I'm going to sit on that pretty hard. And I'm going to say like this, this guy, again, he does everything you want. He's got the physical tools. Is he a true one? Like that maybe is debatable because of the thing with man coverage, but I'm going to make the argument that he's going to see less man coverage in an offense with Carson Wentz helming the quarterback in an offense where Jahan Dotson's part of it in an offense with Curtis Samuel. So I think that's something that, um, I would I think is supports Terry in a lot of ways that like I thought the film would come in and kind of crush Terry's argument but I think there's so much meat on the bone from a production standpoint 
just if the quarterback's playing a little bit better. I don't think this is even a conversation. Now the team's going to point it the other way and say, oh, he wasn't able to do it without an elite quarterback. He wasn't able to do this. He couldn't carry, da-da-da-da-da. And that same argument is just flipped on its head, and whoever has the last word is the one that's going to be right here. So I think, um, I, think, I think John brought up a really good point in that in this year of a rebrand, in this year of kind of like all this tumultuous stuff going on, like Terry has to be your guy. You know, you have to kind of make this work. So I think Terry's agent probably knows that. I think the team probably knows that on some level. So I do think that there's legitimate chance that he's that they're going to resign him and he's going to get a big payday. Yeah, I would love for them. I would love to be Terry's agent if the team was like, oh, we can't do it without an elite quarterback. And be like, yeah, well, last year we didn't even have an NFL starting quarterback. So you yeah. want to start there? Like, yeah, yeah. That's, on, that's on y'all. Yeah. Um, one thing that I find interesting to always in contract negotiations in sports period is the battle between paying for like projecting forward and looking back at past production like you don't want to pay for past production but i also think that's a little bit bs on rookie deals because terry's given you so much more the last couple years and that's kind of the system in which we live it's not a year-to-year thing it's not like they reevaluate after each season what we project a guy's going to be going forward for the very next season they are trying to project forward based off what they've seen so far, what Terry will be over the next three to five years. And so part of that is how much room there is for growth as a player. Terry's 26. He turns 27 in September. How much more room is there between McLaren's current, like take the quarterback part out of it. I know Mm. it's hard, so you'll probably wind up interjecting a little bit into this, uh, interjecting that a little bit into the analysis. But how much more room is there for McLaren, the player, to get better as an NFL wide receiver versus just a better use of his skills with higher quarterback play? That is, like, such a good question, and that's, like, something that I think everyone needs to think about. And it's the answer is, like, I don't know. Like, when I watch him, like, this is kind of who Terry has been for the last two years. Like, the things that he struggled with last year or two years ago are the things he struggled with this past season. So ideally he wants to improve in those areas right um and i'm sure he's trying to do that but there are there is a point where you are who you are we mentioned that with carson wentz too right you kind Mm -hmm. of are are what you are and like i i was that same way as a player and like you have your physical limitations and you work to get over them but at some point like you're never i'm never going to be jordan reed like jordan reed's going to be jordan reed and terry's terry and so I think what I would say is, if I'm making an argument for Terry, is that these are the things that he does exceptionally well. He's physical, he's fast, he's good when the ball's in the air, even though it doesn't always look the prettiest in the whole world. He's productive in those situations. And those skill sets for elite wide receivers are valuable. And I think he will improve in those areas, kind of, you know what I mean? I think he'll get better. I think his route stems, especially on the deeper stuff, is better. I think they're going to do more of that this year. Like you said, the play calling is going to be a little different with a different quarterback there. So I, I think, I think just, I think he is who he is as a player. Let me just say that. But I think that there is enough there to support kind of assuming there's an evolution in the offense, assuming there's an evolution in Carson Wentz, that he's going to be, I don't say very productive, but more productive this year and kind of back in that top 10 conversation. You know, I think a good example, a perfect example of this is like DK Metcalf perfect example right not very productive last year some ways like bad you know what i mean when you watch this film like he wasn't very good um but if he's in the right situation with the right guy and everything kind of it's not everything in this situation because i think he's an elite player um but 
that that new offense, struggling quarterback, that leads to difficulties for you, right? And I think it's the same thing for Terry. And I think no one is say, no one is having that conversation about DK. No one's saying DK doesn't deserve twenty five million dollars. Like that's not even a thing, even though he struggled last year, and even though his skill set is so nuanced and so like specific to like being big and fast. Like Terry has a longer resume in terms of productive attributes, right? So why not bet on that and bet on that being productive because you've seen those skills, even if he doesn't develop, you've seen those skills be productive in certain offensive schemes. Is that am I making sense or am I just kind of talking in circles here? No, I mean it makes sense because like what the the resume that we're talking about is really impressive. Yeah. And it because it's happened here in a team that hasn't won, um and things feel bad around the football right now um, because they were so like, forget all the other stuff because they were disappointing last year. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't think even the most fervent fan is like, no, they were exactly what I thought they would be last year. And I was psyched about it. Like, no, they were, the team was a disappointment last year for a variety of reasons, which have been hashed out on a million talk shows at this point. But at the end of the day, Terry McLaurin's resume is this. He played 14 games as rookie year. He had 919 yards. He was well on his way to 1,000. He caught a concussion, I think, in the New England game, uh, like week 15 or so, and missed the last couple. Uh, otherwise, he would have been a 1,000-yard receiver. Came back in 2020, was a 1,000-yard receiver. Uh, 1,100 yards, 87 receptions. Last year, despite the quarterback play that was discussed, uh, he, on 130 targets, has 77 catches for 1,053 yards. Um, it's the worst, like his catch percentage and stuff was lower, but we talked about why that was, you know, also his, you know, he didn't catch a ball over 50 yards for the first time in his career. Uh, that's probably because the quarterback couldn't throw the deep ball. Um, it just wasn't available in their offense. And so despite all those limitations and despite the things you're talking about, uh, he still has that resume. Whereas a guy like DK looks at his, um, you know, his, resume last year has this big gaping hole in it and everyone's still like yeah he's awesome but because terry and this is where expectation comes into it dk comes out somehow as a second round pick which everyone i think acknowledges was probably a mistake should have been a first rounder but he's still like the crazy jacked guy from yeah. the exos picture versus terry who was a third rounder who everyone thought was going to be a special teams captain and so like the idea of again paying for past performance versus projecting in the future becomes very convoluted because there's still probably some evaluators around the league and maybe even within this organization who look at him and hold on to what they thought of him pre-draft mm, despite yeah. the three years of NFL experience where he is a bona fide legitimate thousand yard receiver. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really good point is that like sometimes going to a new new organization with fresh eyes is something that's really advantageous. I think the thing that kills him a little bit in this whole process is if I'm the team I say, well, yes, all of those things are true. All, you know, he's been very productive, but if you watch him versus man-to-man -man coverage in isolated situations last year, like how productive was he? And the answer is not very. And if you want to be paid like a number 1 guy, like you have to excel in those situations and that's just a fact of life. That's why Jordan Reed got the highest contract for a tight end over Zach Ertz at the time, right? That's why Kelsey and Waller and all these guys get paid a ton of money. Julio, DeAndre, um, Adams, like those guys. Because in man-to-man -man situations, it's an advantage offense. And when you turn on the tape and watch all of Terry's plays, like unfortunately for Terry, it's, it wasn't last year. And now he had a lot of things going on. We mentioned the quarterback play. We mentioned the constitution of the offense. 
the lack of arm strength affects his ability to sell routes deep. All that stuff is relevant. But if I'm the team, I'm just going to say that straight up. Like, look at these clips. And he did not do well here. And this is where the number one receiver has to do well. And if he wants to get paid that way, we didn't see it. And so, again, I think if you're the team and you're even in this negotiation, you're assuming Terry will be better at that stuff this year. Again, just the offense is going to be different, all that stuff. But you're, you're fighting over millions of dollars, and those points, those data points, are relevant. So even though the yeah. resume is fantastic and the character is fantastic, like the, that element of his play on the field was not, was not number elite number one receiver caliber. And I think that is significant. And if I'm the team, I'm bringing that up. And if I'm his agent, I don't know what I say to that other than the quarterback play wasn't good. And then that's not a great answer. I would say the quarterback play wasn't good, and the other guy that you signed and gave a bunch of money already wasn't on the yeah. field at all. And like that would have been helpful. And now not only is that guy back, but uh, you drafted a rookie too should help. And once you finally allow my guy to maximize skill set, yeah. you, you sign this contract and you might be getting a bargain. Uh, yeah. here's, here's my offer. I'm Terry's agent. I just put A.J. Brown's contract on the table. It's four years, $100 million. $23 million signing bonus, average salary, $25 million, 40 guaranteed at signing, total guarantees, 57 Man, that's a lot of money. That's a uh, lot of money. That's a lot of money. I, but like, that's, that's the price of A.J. Brown. Right. That's what the Eagles said. I, that's, that's the contract I put on the table, given, given all the discussion we just had. Are you like, all right, we're good. Sign it, or what? Like, where do you counter offer? Or, or so I think. I, I think the the thing is, if Terry said, "Oh, I'll do whatever, three years, twenty million, or something like that, three years, twenty-two million, something like that," I I don't even bat an eye. Yeah, that's perfect. Do it. This is like you're you're making a statement, and I understand you got to like the market. Like you have to be within in step with the market if you're his agent. So you yeah, he has to be at twenty-five or probably a little bit better. Um, I, I don't know if I feel totally comfortable paying him that. And I, and that's terrible. And that's terrible of me to say because of everything that he's done for this organization. Everything. Welcome he's done to this, the media, Logan. Welcome to the media. Sometimes we have to say terrible things. Everything he's done. And like, I want him here. Like I said, like I, of the receivers that I watched, he's like, he's a Logan Paulson guy. Like I want him on my football team, but is he as good as AJ Brown? And again, like the quarterback thing is a huge factor here. The offense and what they were able to do in Tennessee in terms of just getting him open, like on some free stuff, was great. But he can win versus press. He can win versus off. He can win kind of in any situation. And he's not, he's not Julio. You know, he's not Julio from three years ago. He's not DeAndre Hopkins. He's not Devontae Adams. He's not that guy. But he's damn good. And I think that's the thing. That's the difference at this point. And maybe I need to go back and watch two years of film with Terry to see if he can handle the man stuff. But that's a big glaring thing. And if, I, if there's a guy who can't do that and they want to be paid number one receiver money or they have a hard – I don't want to say he can't do that because we talked about the quarterback play. But if he's having a hard time with that on film, like, again, that's a big reservation on my part. If I'm the GM. Now, if it's just right. like Logan sign your favorite player, like, yeah, $25 million, let's do it, right? But you got to make smart yeah. decisions because, like, I also want to re-sign Montez Sweat. I want to try and re-sign right. Payne if I can, right? And so, like, you got to kind of – penny pinch here a little bit and maybe you could make an argument and say hey terry here's a two-year deal for 20 and then we give we guarantee more money we guarantee 45 million of it or something like that and it's a shorter window and then we'll extend you if everything looks good get the, all these guys under contract and then we'll let you match the not match the new receiver market and kind of compromise or something like that 
But again, like that's why those contracts are so tough to do. And I'm sure they want to lock them in for a long time. And players never want that because they want to be able to extend their 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 right. Well, that's money. the thing is like sometimes you sign the big one now and it looks like a bargain in a couple of years because the market continues to rot. Like CD Lamb, who we talked about earlier, like yeah. that dude's going to get a contract and it's going to be more than 25 a year. Yeah. And so in three years when Terry is still making 25, does that look like a bargain? Yeah, and I, that's what John said too. And then maybe that's a good point is like with the – with the new CBA, with the new salary cap after the COVID mm-hmm. restrictions are lifted, all that kind of thing, um, and like new maybe, TV money, yeah, maybe that looks like peanuts, and that's totally reasonable. And I think if you, if if obviously smarter people people than me are looking at that information, but if you feel like that the salary cap can accommodate that, I don't know why you. I guess I don't. I don't know why you wouldn't. You know, because of the intangible things you mentioned. But from a film standpoint, like again, that's. I, I, I gave my reservation, but does that outweigh all of this emotional, all of this character, all of this physical, all of the toughness over here? And for some people, I'm sure it does. I would say no. Like I would, if if I would give him the AJ Brown contract and know that when he signed it, I'm going to feel good about it because he's going to show up every day. He's going to do exactly what he's supposed yeah. to do. Yeah. He's going to lead, and he is going to produce. Even if he doesn't quite produce at that level, he's going to produce at a really high level. He's not going to all of a sudden bust out, and I'm excited. And I know he's going to feel good, hopefully, would feel good about the organization and will continue to, to give back. I understand what you're saying. I don't think it's an unreasonable opinion. I think sometimes, as a GM, you need to be prudent but uh, well, and, and make those tough decisions. But I, I personally, my very meaningless take is that I would give Terry that contract and not think twice about it. Well, and I think that's the other thing about this Terry thing is like he will be more productive this year. He in this offense with this guy at quarterback, he will be more productive. And then all of his, I, he might be more productive than AJ Brown because look who's throwing him the ball in Philly, right? So again, like if that's what you're if if that's what you're betting on, if that's what you're banking on, like I would bet on Terry being more productive than he was last year. And this might be Terry's most productive year in the NFL, and what I said about man-to-man coverage doesn't mean anything, right? Yeah. And so, again, that's something that I would I, – I, it's relevant here, and it's relevant in terms of giving that money because if you give him the contract and he is more productive, you look like a genius. Is it all is, – is Terry the catalyst for that? Maybe not. Is the more relevant fact of the quarterback and the change in the offense and the weapons you've added? Probably. But still, you look – you save face in the court of public opinion – because the national media is going to look at this and say, oh, man, Terry has 15,000 yards receiving or 1,500 yards receiving, excuse me. Like, they're geniuses. And no one's going to, like, deep dive the film. And no one's going to critique that. They're just going to be like, wow, look how productive Terry is. And that's important, too, to consider if I'm the team. Because if, if, I, if I give him the deal, I want him to play well. And he's going to play well. So why not do it? Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, and I guess the, the counter would be not to continue endlessly extending this conversation would be like, well, what do you do with Deron Payne next year? Yeah. What do you do with Montez Sweat next year? And that's yeah. that's where it gets tough. I just I look at how Jerry Jones used to have a great and probably still does has a great phrase, but I I, I stumbled across it when I was working in Dallas, and you'd be like, "Oh yeah, all this money is fungible." Yeah, that word. It's like it's fungible. Like I just think the salary cap is funny money, and I am yet to be convinced otherwise. I always feel like you can make room if you want to, but I, I know there are actual consequences eventually, and so uh, perhaps we'll get uh, a cap. But expert not on really, though. Look at New Orleans. Look at New Orleans, man. Every year they're way over. They just they do a little shadow. They move the pieces around, and then all of a sudden everything's so pathetic. Yeah. So 
maybe yeah. maybe that needs to be the the uh, the perspective here. Just make it as fungible yeah. as you can and get keep good people around. Fungible. <laughs> Twice as funny when Jerry says it. All right. Uh, that's it for this here podcast. Uh, coming up on Thursday's show, I'm really looking forward to this. Kind of an offshoot of this conversation. We'll have many versions of these conversations at quarterback. Uh, obviously, we just had a big one on receiver. Running back and tight end. We're going to rank the all those position groups within the NFC East. And then we're going to play a little draft game. Uh, because we've all seen on, on Instagram, on Twitter, on, on whatever social media, you have $10 and you're going to spend it on this. We're going to do a version of that on the show with the skill positions in the NFC. So that's coming up on Thursday's show, plus reaction to the congressional hearing featuring Roger Goodell and not Daniel Snyder. Uh, so we will do all that on Thursday's show. Thanks again to Michael Phillips for joining me to talk about that on today's show. If you want more from him, follow him on Twitter at Michael P. R. T. D. Uh, again, on Instagram, at Logan underscore Paulson 82 for Logan, at Craig underscore Hoffman for me, and I'm at Craig Hoffman on Twitter. Also a big announcement on Thursday's show, so uh, you can look forward to that. Uh, big announcement, uh, sim- simultaneous announcements on Take Command Thursday and on the Team 980 on Thursday. Uh, I will be in on the afternoon show for Russell and Medhurst Thursday and Friday this week. So see you then. Uh, until then, make sure you're subscribed if you're not. And this has been Take Command from Odyssey Sports.